Well, good morning. Great to spend some time in worship this morning, and now we get a chance to get into our study. We have been in this study on Colossians, uh, and we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2 today, uh, primarily. Although I'm trying to do something, I don't know if I've ever done this before, so I'm just going to test this out. It may totally not work, but this is, you know, we're leading up to Easter. This is technically the day of the triumphal entry, but I tend to like to reflect on Jesus' death and his sacrifice since we don't really do a Good Friday service together. There will be a multi-church Good Friday service over at Bridgeway on Friday, so please join us uh, for that. I think Paul and Glenn and I will all be speaking that night, um, so please join us. But I wanted to reflect a little bit this, uh, this morning on Jesus' sacrifice, and I knew that this passage was coming up. In fact, I've been planning this since the beginning of our study in Colossians to kind of hit this on this week, uh, and actually next week. We're going to look at these same verses next week. And what I'm going to try to do, we'll see if this works out, is both reflect on Jesus's death and his sacrifice this week and his, and his burial, and next week focus on his resurrection, but not just focus on those, that historical event that occurred in Jesus's life, but also the repercussions of that in our life which is really what this passage is talking about. It's not going to talk about all the repercussions, but it's going to talk about some very, very important repercussions of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so as you'll see this morning, I'll kind of skip over, uh, skim over the resurrection part of this passage, uh, and we'll focus more on the, on the sacrifice and the death part of this passage. But let's pray, and we'll get into it. Lord, we're just so thankful to be together again uh, this morning. So great to be together as a, as a family, the fellowship that you give us, and just uh, our ability to dive into your truth week after week uh, and be able to um, be transformed by it. I pray uh, particularly this morning that if we've been holding on to certain things, if we've been thinking incorrectly about ourselves and about uh, our past, that you would help readjust our thinking this morning uh, in a way that only your spirit can do. So I pray as we dive into this that your spirit would be at work, as I know he will, and help me just to be clear about what the text is saying. I pray this all in your name. Amen. So our passage this week starts in verse 11, but 9 and 10 kind of lead right up to 11. It's, it's actually all part of the same sentence. So I'm going to start in verse 9. It says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete and he is head over every rule, ruler and authority, and in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision performed without hands. So we're going to focus on verse 11. Uh, we talked about last week uh, the, the, the fullness of, of God dwelling in, in Christ, that we have been made complete in him, meaning there is not a, a piece of the puzzle missing for us. He has completed it for us, uh, and that he is the head over everything. He's the ruler. Uh, he is the top dog ruler over everything. But also, he continues on and says, and in him, in Christ, we were circumcised. Now, this verse pre presents a couple of difficulties for us here in the 21st century, is that one, we don't live in a time or a culture in which circumcision matters spiritually. Like maybe medically it's a thing or whatever, but like spiritually, we don't think in those terms at all. But we've got to understand that they very much thought in those terms in this time. And so we've got to kind of shift our thinking to their way of thinking. And then secondly, I think the other difficulty is that it's a little bit awkward talking about circumcision. Now, 
I can be awkward, so we're going to be awkward this morning, and we're going to talk a little bit about it, because I think we need to understand that in order to understand what he's getting at here. So let's start with circumcision. It goes all the way back to the very beginning of Yahweh's covenant with uh, Abraham. Uh, We have this in Genesis 17. It says, And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your male foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations." A little farther down, so my covenant shall be in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. But as for an uncircumcised male, one who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Okay, so circumcision is surgically removing some skin from a a man, right? They took a flint knife and uh, and cut off uh, some skin. And every uh, male born in each new generation had the same cut made and the same skin cut away, right? And as we talked about when we, when we did the overview of the Old Testament, this is a sign of the covenant, right? It's like uh, the covenant's like a contract, and normally we sign contracts today, right? The circumcision was the signature on that contract. And so it was saying, hey, I'm, I'm signing to say that I'm a part of God's people. I'm going to commit to this covenant. I'm going to do my part in this contract that we have between Yahweh and us, uh, and I'm going to do that. And so the opposite was definitely true. If you were unwilling to sign the contract, if you were unwilling to be circumcised, you're basically tearing up the contract and saying, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And if that's true then you're not a part of the covenant people of God. You got to go. You got you to leave, right? Because this was the signing of the contracts. So while in and of itself, it's just this little medical procedure, right? It had great significance in the life of the Israelites. It was closely related to their identity as Israelites and as the people of God. It was closely related to God's fulfillment of his promises to them and, uh, and that they recognized he would fulfill his promises to them. And it had everything to do with a person's nearness to God. In fact, so many times when it's talked about, to be uncircumcised is to be far from God. And to be circumcised is to be near to God. It was very much a spiritual idea wrapped up in this physical thing, right? Now, here's what's weird about this one that we're talking about today. It says, and in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision performed without hands. Well, that's weird. Because every circumcision from Abraham on down was performed with hands. This was a physical, surgical procedure, right, that was done with hands, usually performed either by a family member or by a representative from, you know, a religious representative who would come and do this thing. But this that's being talked about is not done with hands. It's not a physical thing. It's actually an inward spiritual thing. It's an inward spiritual sign of relationship with God, performed in him, which means he's the one who performed it. It was in his realm of things that he performed it. Jesus performed this circumcision. Not your dad, not a religious representative or whatever. It was something done by Jesus. And so it's really what it's talking about here is this idea of, of the circumcision of the heart, which, which occurs a number of times in the Old Testament to give us a little bit of context on this. Deuteronomy 36 says, Moreover, Yahweh your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants to love Yahweh your God with all your heart and all your soul so that you may live. 
This is Moses talking about, uh, he was given some information by God about kind of what was coming for Israel, uh, some, some things that they were going to go through as a nation. And so he stands up before the nation and he's kind of describing to them what's going to happen to them. And he describes this situation in which God was going to circumcise the hearts of his people. He's talking about the new covenant is what he's talking about. Where uh, it wouldn't be this outward sign of physical circumcision, but it would be this inward sign of, of a spirit changed, of a person changed. So that we would love Yahweh, your God, with all your heart and all your soul. See, this physical sign couldn't do that, right? It couldn't make this love for God be, be existent in our hearts. Something had to be done at an internal level, at an internal level. Jeremiah 4 also talks about this. Uh, he says, circumcise yourselves to Yahweh and remove the foreskins of your hearts. Your hearts don't have foreskins. This is weird. Uh, but he's talking about this spiritual transformation. Men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, or else my wrath will spread like fire and burn with no one to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. See, these were circumcised people, physically circumcised people, who didn't have circumcised hearts, and that was a problem for God, Right? Uh, Romans uh, 2 speaks to this also. Uh, he's making a case for uh, getting the Jews out of their, th their thought process that just because they were physically circumcised, that somehow that made them good with God. That, that was all that was needed, right? Because now they're associated with the people of God, and he favors them, right? Look at uh, 28. He says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is, is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and the circumcision of the, the and circumcision is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from people, but from God. He's talking about this transformation, right, of the heart, something that God does inside of us. Um, in fact, later uh, later on in Acts, when uh, Stephen, who becomes the first uh, Christian martyr, right? He's killed uh, for his faith and, and for speaking out uh, in favor of Christ. Um, he actually stands before these religious leaders, uh, those who had stood against Christ, those who had uh, had a hand in killing Christ. Um, and, and right before he's martyred, he kind of calls him out. Uh, this, is, this is what he says. He says, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. They, they were circumcised in, in, physically, but they were uncircumcised in their heart. And ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets, which one of the, of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one. And you have now become betrayers and murderers of him. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. You hear what he called them? They're, they're stiff-necked and they're uncircumcised. But every one of them was 100% circumcised. I mean, one, definitely you were circumcised, right? Every good Hebrew kid, man, boy, all circumcised, right? But he's like, you're uncircumcised because you're uncircumcised in your heart. And the evidence was clear for this in their role in killing Jesus. Let's look at, look at what they did. John 7, this is very early on in Jesus' ministry, says, After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee. 
For he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Almost from the beginning. Luke 19 says, And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to put him to death. And yet they could not find anything that they might do, for all the people were hanging on to every word. They couldn't figure out how to get him killed, but they wanted to get him killed. Is that, is that a demonstration of a circumcised person of God or an uncircumcised person of God? Come on, this is uncircumcised behavior, 100%. Mark 14, now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were two days away, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him covertly and kill him. They wanted to do it on the down low. This is the behavior of uncircumcised people. It's very, very clear. They uh, paid Judas to betray him a little bit later in that same passage. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. They were delighted when they heard this and promised to give him money. And he began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. This is the behavior of uncircumcised people. This is the behavior of people that aren't of God. This is how the world behaves, and they were behaving this way. All backroom deals, trying to deceitfully uh, capture him when no one else was looking so that he might be killed. Then we fast forward to his, his trial before Pilate. It says this, Now Pilate summoned to himself the chief priests, the rulers, and the people. The chief priests, the rulers, and the people. That's who were there. That's who were doing this. Look at this. And he said to them, you brought this man to me on the ground that he is inciting the people to revolt. And behold, after examining him before you, I have found no basis at all in the case of this man for the charges which you bring against him. Not a single reason for this man to be killed or even punished, honestly. No, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us. And behold, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. Therefore, I will, pu therefore, I will punish him and release him. Now, he, he was obligated to release to them, at least one, the, to them at the feast one prisoner. Herod's finding of Jesus, innocent. Pilate's findings of Jesus, innocent. An innocent man acquitted of all charges, the next step is what? Release the man. Right? He's innocent. He's been found innocent. No question. Look what they did. But they cried out all together, saying, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. He was one who had been thrown into prison for revolt that took place for a revolt that took place in the city, and for murder. Release that guy to us. What? But Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept on crying out, Crucify, crucify him. Crucify, crucify him. Crucify, crucify him. Is this the behavior of God's people? To an innocent man? This is uncircumcised behavior. And he said to them a third time, Why? What has this man done wrong? I have found in his case no grounds for a sentence of death. 
Therefore, for I will punish him and release him. But they were insistent with loud voices, demanding that he be crucified. Crucify, crucify him, crucify, crucify him, crucify, crucify him. And their voices began to prevail. And so Pilate decided to, to have their demand carried out. An innocent man, acquitted of all charges, ordered to be crucified by a mob of truly uncircumcised people. These are not God's people, right? Sure, they're physically circumcised. Come on, right? Yeah, sure. But this is not the behavior of circumcised people. These are not God's people. But things were different for the Colossians. For the Colossian saints, they had a circumcision performed on their heart by Christ. Things are different for you and me because we've had, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've given your life to follow Jesus, he has done a circumcision in you. Not a physical one, an internal one. We are all circumcised in him. The point on your handout if you want to fill it in is, Christ has spiritually circumcised those who are in him. Christ has spiritually circumcised those who are in him. Well, what does that mean, right? Heart circumcision. It's kind of a weird thing. What does that mean for them? What does that mean for us? We've been circumcised in our heart. What does that mean? He goes on. This is so good. He says, And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision performed without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by, circumci by the circumcision of Christ. He removed our flesh. Now, this, this phrase here um, is the, the grammar here is, is a decisive, definitive action. He cut off our flesh one time, it's done. He cut it out, it's, he cut it off, it's done. Just like physical circumcision was, right? It was one knife cut and it's done. You're not cutting multiple times or it have to be cut over your lifetime. No, it's one time thing, right? He did that for us once for all, freeing us from the flesh. Well, what is the flesh? That's a little tougher thing to talk about because it's, it's, it's not, it's a, it's a really a broad subject that books have been written on, okay? But if I could boil it down, it, it, is, it is our humanity. Um, but, but it's the part of our humanity that's, that's described as like our weakness, our limitations. Uh, when, when someone, you know, does something wrong and someone calls them on it or whatever and they go, well, I'm only human, right? That's what they're talking about. I'm only human. I'm limited, right? I, I, I'm going to fail. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make mistakes. I'm going to do sinful and bad things because I'm only human. When we know kind of humans behave this way, right? I'm only human. I'm not perfect. I'm weak. We were, in, we were enslaved to the sinful patterns of this world, the propensities of this world. We could not get free from them. 
This is described in a couple different places, but I like uh, Galatians 5. says this. says, Now the deeds of the flesh, same, same word here, are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostility, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, you guys know I like buts, right? With one T. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Sound familiar? That's exactly what he's talking about in Colossians. Been crucified, been cut off, it's done. If we live by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit as well. He killed the power of fle- that flesh, our flesh had over us. He gave us the Spirit to empower new life in us. Can we still act like the old us? Sure, we can still act like the old us. Can we still act like we have an unchanged life? Sure, we can act like we have the unchanged life. We still live in these bodies that are capable of those things, right? Can we still act like we have an uncircumcised heart? Sure, we can act like that. But that's not who we are. Do you get it? Like, that's the thing. That's the thing that we need to get through our thick skulls, right? That's not who we are. Romans 8 says it this way. It says, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, I like big howevers and I cannot lie. No, it's similar, right? However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of God, he does not belong to him. So we work that backwards, right? We belong to him, right? So we have the Spirit of God in us, right? He dwells in us, right? We're not in the flesh anymore. It's not, it's not there. It's not a thing. Now the problem is we can get fooled because this is not an outward circumcision, right? It's an inward circumcision. No one can see my uncircumcised heart. I can't even see my uncircumcised heart if I look in the mirror. I can't see it. So it's one of those things that we have to believe by faith that he has done this, that we now have his spirit living inside of us, which we cannot see. There's no camera that is going to catch, you know, some sort of weird spirit thing around us, right? It's not going to happen, but it's real. He is in us. And so he says, so live by the spirit, not in your own strength, in his strength, not trying to please him in your own power. That is a failing, failing proposition, but surrendering to his power. This is what he did in removing the flesh. I don't know about you, but I'm like, wow, right? Like, yes, this is so good. Having been buried with him in baptism, verse 12, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the, in the working of God who raised him from the dead. That second part we're going to look at next week. But the first part, we were buried with him. Paul's going to start going kind of backwards through the story 
of Jesus, of what's going on with Jesus. The, the timeline kind of in reverse. And he's starting here with the fact that we were buried. Jesus was buried, right? We know this. Starting in verse 50, it says, And a man named, a man named Joseph who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not c- consented to their plan and action. A man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and he wrapped it in linen cloths, in a, in a linen cloth, and laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever lain. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was buried in a tomb owned by a man named Joseph, right? But not just Jesus was buried on that day. Millions, billions, I don't know how many, were buried on that same exact day, right? When he was buried, we were buried. You and I, we got buried 2,000 years ago. I wasn't even alive. We weren't even alive, right? But we got buried too. We got buried in baptism, Right, which uh, that that is a tough word sometimes because we always think of what goes on in that tub that's up there, right? But baptism just means to dip or to dunk or to place into, right? Which is what we do up there, right? We dip someone in, right? Um, our baptism that we do is actually a picture of this reality, because when we bury someone under the water, that that's that's what that indicates. That's what that is showing. It's like we're going six feet down, right? We're dead we're buried. We're dunked, we're buried. That's the picture. 2,000 years ago, when he was buried physically, we were buried spiritually. And our baptism is just simply a recounting of that reality, right? Now, prior to Jesus' burial, he also died, right? Verse 44, it says, he was, it was about the sixth hour And darkness came over the entire land until the ninth hour, because the sun stopped shining, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. And having said this, he died. Our Savior, a little less than 2,000 years ago, he took his last breath. His heart stopped pumping. His lungs stopped expanding and contracting. The synapses in his brain stopped firing. His eyes were still. His body hung motionless on the cross. That really happened. 2,000 years ago, we also died. Not physically, but spiritually. Our, our lives had the stink of death on them, right? Look at 13. He says, And when you were dead in your wrongdoings and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him. Again, the second part we'll look at next week. The first part is, you and I were dead. We were dead in our wrongdoings. Just again, like we can't see the, the circumcision of our heart, we couldn't see that we were dead. We can't currently see the the world that hasn't submitted their lives to Christ that they're dead, but they're dead. They're walking around dead. 
We were walking around dead. We were walking corpses. We walked, we talked, we laughed, we cried, all in death. We called it life, but it was actually death. And, it, and is it because, like, we did sin and that's, like, wrong and shame, shame? No, that's not it. The reason why we were dead is that the wages of sin is death, right? The payoff for sin is always death. We know that. And we were dead in it. Ephesians 2. Mike read this this morning. And you were dead in your offenses and sins in which you previously walked according to this the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now at working in the sons of disobedience. Among them too, we all previously lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. Our lusts ruled us. Our desires owned us. We were enslaved to them. We were the walking dead, right? Just dying a little bit each day, inching closer and closer and closer every day of our death to an eternal death. And then Christ removed our dead flesh. I don't know about you, but I'm like, yes. It is hard to look at the suffering of Christ on the day that he died. It's hard. I don't know if it's hard for you. It's hard for me to look at that, to think about that, because I love him. But what he accomplished, when we were dead in our wrongdoings and the uncircumcision of our flesh, and he went, whoop, I'm going to cut that off. Yes. The point on your handout, if you want to fill it in, is Christ has removed our flesh which was enslaving us to an existence full of sin and death. Christ has removed our flesh, which was enslaving us to an existence full of sin and death. Flesh, sin, death. Now, Paul keeps working back because before Jesus was buried, he died, right? And before he died, he was crucified. Mark 15 has it this way. It says, then they brought him to the, pl- to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. And they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh. And he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each man would take. Now it was the third hour when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. Jesus is taken to this place called Golgotha. They crucified him. They laid him on a cross they drove nails into his upper wrists and his feet. They, they stood up this cross, and they sat back and watched while he suffocated to death. Verse 27, it says, And they crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those passing by were hurling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, Ha, 
You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself by coming down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves, saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. All the while, while he's struggling to take breaths, random people are walking by and mocking him. Israel's political leaders, their moral leaders, their their religious leaders are sitting back mocking him. Even those who were dying with them were, were making fun of him. Verse 33 says, When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of the bystanders heard him, they began saying, Look, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave him a drink, saying, Let us see if Elijah comes to take him down. But Jesus let out a loud cry and died. Now, while this is an important story to tell, I think it stands on its own, there's some important facts for us to remember, especially this time of year, that there was far more going on on this day. There was far more going on than what we have in this account. And some of that is recorded in, by Paul in our passage. Look at verse 13, the second half of it. I'll read the beginning there. And when you were dead in your wrongdoings and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our wrongdoings. While in the physical world, Jesus was, was being physically beaten and mocked, in the spiritual realm, he was forgiving us. And this is, uh, it's interesting, the word forgive here, or forgiven here, um, the, the, the most widely used New Testament word for it um, is this word we've talked about before, which is like let go or release, you know, to release something. This is not the word here. The word here is to freely give. It's actually, it's a Greek word that's actually very much related to the word grace, uh, grace is charis, and this is charizomai. It's, the, it's, it's, it's very, very similar. And, 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 it's, and it's to release, to, to, to give something undeserved to someone. Kind of the modern way I think we would say this would be something like to give someone a pass, right? Or, or to, to, you know, you're golfing with someone and they give you a mulligan, right? Like, yeah, that last shot didn't count, right? That's the idea here. That Jesus, when he died on the cross, he went through physical suffering and pain. That's what was going on in the physical world. But in the spiritual world, he was freely giving us a pass for all of our sin. All of our wrongdoing. Every single one. Every single time we violated God's standards. Every single one of those deserving fully of death for ourselves. Every time we, we looked at God's purpose for us, which was to image him, right, to reveal his character, and we're like, nah, I don't really want to do that, gave us grace. 
Every time someone caught us in a sin we were trying to hide and it was really embarrassing, he gave us grace. Every time we were able to uh, hide that thing, that secret shame that maybe you have right now today, you're still dealing with that, that secret thing that no one else should know because if they knew, he knew, he knows, and he's giving you grace and me grace. Every time we hurt people with our words and our actions, they might not forgive us, but he on that day Gave us grace. Let it go. Gave us a pass. And by the way, this is the word here is a past completed action. The grammar here. It was done. It was done 2,000 years ago. It was done way before you were even born, way before you even did the thing that you did. He let it go. Look at verse 14, he says, having canceled the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. While in the physical world, he was gasping for air, he was scraping his back up and down the cross just to get a breath, pushing the weight of his adult male body up on the wounds in his feet. In the spiritual realm, he was ripping up the bill against you and me. The charges we had racked up, every single one of them deserving of death. This, this list of charges that were hostile to us, which meant that list was not looking good for us. This overwhelming, insurmountable, crushing debt that we owed because of our behavior he ripped it up. That's what was going on on this day, right? Like, like physical things were going on, but there were so many spiritual things going on, including this. Look at what the second half says there. It says, and he has taken it out of the way, nailed, having nailed it to the cross. While in the visible world, spikes were being driven into his hands and into his feet. Strike after strike after strike after strike. In the unseen world, every sin that we ever committed was being nailed to that cross. Every single one. Sin after sin after sin after sin, failure after failure after failure after failure was being nailed to that cross. Every single one of your worst moments and my worst moments were nailed to that cross 2,000 years ago. Every time you slept with your boyfriend or girlfriend before you were married, every time you slept with your husband or wife before you were married, Every time you cheated on your wife or your husband after you were married, every time you indulged in pornography, every time you pursued a same-sex relationship or same-sex pornography, these things made you a womanizer, a floozy, a tramp, a pervert, an adulterer, nailed to the cross. It's not you anymore. You don't own that. It's back there. In fact, it's ancient history. 2,000 years ago history, right? 
Every time you had too much alcohol or you decided to get high, every time those things caused you to do shameful things in in shameful situations with, with shameful people, Every time people tried to help you and you pushed them away and go, no, 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 I'm, I'm good. Every time you cross lines that you would never cross sober. Those things made you an addict, an alcoholic, a wino, a drunk, and all the other labels that could be placed on you, and he nailed those things to the cross. It's not you. It's not me. Every time you spoke words in anger or jealousy, or arrogance. Every time you made yourself feel big by making other people feel small. Every time you yelled at your family because they just weren't being what you wanted them to be. Every time I did that too, I mean, I'm, I'm with this. I'm not saying you, I'm saying us. Every time we tried to control people, tried to, uh, to use people by belittling them, right? By, by making them into what we want to make them into. Every time we destroyed relationships because we just couldn't hold our tongue. Made you a verbal abuser, two-faced, a gossip, nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago. Every time I told a little white lie, and got found out, right? Every time I had to cover up my last lie with, with another lie because I, and then another lie after that because I just had to keep it going, right? Every time I showed people what I wanted them to see because I didn't, I didn't want to show them what I was really about because it's no good back there. Made me a deceiver, made me a hypocrite, made me a fake, made me a liar, nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago. It's back there. It's not here. It's back there. Every time we prioritize money over people, every time we doubt that God can provide for, for our family, unless I just get involved, I got to take control Every time we neglect our family because we need to make an extra buck. Every time we cheated on our finances or follow, filed a fraudulent insurance claim or you know, skimmed from the till or something like that, it made us a cheat, it made us a thief, it made us a swindler, selfish, greedy, all of that nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago. And every single thing you can tell yourself about yourself that I didn't even cover because... We're just scratching the surface, right? That thing, whatever that thing is that's in your mind right now, like this is what I am. That's not who you are because I was nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago. You have not been that thing in over 2,000 years because he nailed it to the cross. It's done. Now we can choose to wear that label, whatever that label is, and just go, yeah, you know. And, and, and wear that guilt and that shame and, and carry that weight with us. We can wear that label. We can play the victim and go, ah, you know what, I am this, but it's because someone else made me this or whatever, right? We could do that kind of thing. We can use it as a wall between us and God and go, yeah, yeah, God, you know what? I don't know if I can approach you because uh, I am this. And I know you don't want those kind of people. Or we can allow Jesus to put it where it belongs. 
because he removed every single one of those things. Nailed it to the cross. Your worst moment was left on the cross 2,000 years ago, and it is ancient history. Why are you holding on to it? Why am I holding on to it? They're back there. They're not here. And you might go, wait, wait, I just did that last week. Yeah, sure, but it's 2,000 years ago because that's when he dealt with it. Ancient history. The point on your handout, if you want to fill it in, is every single one of your moral failures, including your very worst moments, were taken care of by Christ thousands of years ago before you ever lived them. Every single one of your moral failures, including your very worst moments, were taken care of by Christ thousands of years before you ever lived them. Let's read the bottom of the handout together. Well, we're going to have to read it on paper because that's not going to do what I need it to do there. The weakness of our flesh brought nothing but dead results in our lives. We were chained by our lusts and desires, and that way of life was inching us closer and closer to an eternal state of death. Jesus' death on the cross freed us from our flesh and the death that it brought to us. When When he was nailed to the cross, so was all of our worst moments and darkest desires. His work was and is complete. There's no longer any need to carry our past with us, nor attempt to serve penance to make up for our failures. Our past is ancient history. This should free us from any identities, guilt, or shame that might keep us from fully embracing our new life in him. Just some questions that I had on the handout to think about. What does it mean to you that Jesus has done surgery on your heart to transform you into one of his people? Do you believe that Jesus has broken the power that that sin had over you? And does your life reflect the reality of that belief? Is there any guilt and shame from past sins that you have been holding on to that you need to allow Jesus to nail to the cross? Let me pray for us. Lord, uh, we are just so thankful. You know, it's, it's kind of this, this mix of feelings, right? Because we're both very, very sad to reflect on what you went through. Very, very sad to know that we put you there. We put you in that position where you had to suffer and die for us. But we are so, so thankful that you've taken our sin out of the way, that you've dealt with it, that it's over and done with. Lord, help us to remember that. Help us to to live that. I know I'm so prone to bringing things back up for myself. Re, uh, re-guilting myself over things that happened 20 years ago or things that even happened a couple weeks ago, Lord. But I tend to carry that. Lord, I don't want to carry that. We don't want to carry that because we don't need to carry that. It, it's not on us. It's on the cross. Help us to remember that. Help us to believe that. Help us to know that even though we can't see some physical sign of that. Help us to know that and to trust in what you've done there. Free us from our past so we can live into the future that you have for us. Pray this all in your name.